HVAC 360 is brought to you today by the Big Bad Wolf Corporation and their new product, Breeze in a Bottle. This innovative product is not to be confused with those puny cans of air that clean off keyboards. These high-volume, highly-processed canisters of 55-degree air are perfect for those places that come up short during and after the balancing process. Just hook it up to an existing diffuser and go. They are guaranteed to last through the warranty process so your firm is in the clear. Don't huff or puff. Get your breeze in a bottle today. Welcome back! Matt Nelson here, your host for HVAC 360, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. Um, we do that by sharing stories, interviewing experts, and really giving you more HVAC knowledge that you can shake a stick at. Um, in addition to this podcast, you can always double down on your weekly dose of HVAC knowledge by going over to HVAC360.com and signing up for the newsletter and joining the community of people just like you. All right, so what's up for this week? This week, we're going to talk with a testing and balancing expert, Mr. Mike Mazzolini, who's the Director of Operations over at Fulton & Associates Air Balance. Uh, we got a lot of subject matter to cover, so we'll just cut to the tape with Mike Mazzolini. All right, today we're talking with Mike Mazzolini, who is the uh, Director of Operations. He's the NEB certified professional over at Fulton & Associates. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm good, Matt. How are you? I'm fantastic. Hey, uh, you know... Living you, the dream. <laughs> absolutely. So you've been around the industry quite some time. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your background in balancing? Um, I've have... Well... Here's a funny thing. I just did receive my 25-year watch from uh, Sheet Metal Workers Local 33, plus I have an additional five years as an apprentice. So I have about 30 years dedicated solely to testing, adjusting, and balancing. Um, I hold the NEB certification for, uh, we're a NEB certified testing, adjusting, and balancing firm. Um, there is a process that has to be gone through to, of course, become NEB certified. Um, there are written examinations and practical examination that needs to be completed uh, within a certain period of time. Um, I also serve on the uh, technical committee of our chapter of NEB, which is the Ohio Kentucky Environmental Balancing Bureau. And I attend conferences both at the national and chapter level and stay involved heavily. Um, and I'm also a certified proctor so that I actually can um, participate and help with um, not only practical examinations for certified professionals, but certified technicians as well. Uh, so uh, just so everybody and Kind of has a little bit of reference there. Um, when we talk about NEB, the National Environmental Balancing Bureau, um, they're mm -hmm. kind of uh, just generally here in the United States, one of three typical um, organizations that, uh, or associations that support uh, the 
balancing community. You have the ABC, you have uh, TAB, uh, but NEB is uh, the one that you belong to. And being the NEB certified professional, that actually means uh, quite a bit because you are sort of like um, the, you know, the person at your firm uh, that's really overseeing all the operations, all the uh, different um, balancing that's being performed. Everybody else can be like a, a, a technician, correct? But you are correct. kind of overseeing everything. Yes, that's correct. And, and I also help, I mean, not only that, but I know, and I know we'll get into to some of the instruments and staying on top of calibration of equipment and things of that nature. But yeah, when, when I like to be a problem solver, so when there are issues that arise, um, I like to participate and, you know, provide solutions. Um, that's really what I get most of my enjoyment out of. And I, I like the people, um, even some of them that are, are peculiar. Um, I like people in general and, uh, I like to communicate with them and, um, help provide solutions at the end of the day. Yeah, so your life is pretty busy from, on a day-to-day basis, I'd say. Yeah, just a little bit, man. <laughs> it only took me a month and a half to get back to you about this, and I know we <laughs> we had talked a, a little while. So, But, yeah, it, it, it can be hectic at times, um, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a good job. It's a very interesting job. Um, you're always switching gears uh, constantly, you know, from simple simple things. Um, all the way back to, you know, I, I just got some questions on, um, you know, we have some younger guys coming up and they had some questions with some pneumatic VAV systems that they were working on. Um, and at times that could be complicated, you know, especially if it's something that you're not used to. But if you understand the basic concepts of how that VAV controller is supposed to react, it's actually really uh, more on the simple side to troubleshoot, but you, you know, it takes time to understand and, and get to that, that uh, stage in your career where you can be confident with troubleshooting, you know, something as simple as a pneumatic VAV box. Um, it's kind of funny. I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but you know, even at the national level, you know, they wanted to, to, they talked about doing away with, you know, having any kind of questions on the tests uh, about direct acting, you know, or, or normally open, reverse acting, you know, normally closed, whatever the case may be, uh, background. And, and I, I actually kind of piped up and I, I did say, I said, if you understand how to troubleshoot and, and understand how a pneumatic VAV box works, it's pretty similar to a DDC box. So if you can, you pull a high line and that motor doesn't go open, it's not getting the proper signal. So that, that backbone knowledge makes you a stronger troubleshooter with the new equipment that comes out because you have the background of how it's, how it's supposed to function. I guess that's the best way to put it. Right. Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, it's, 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 it's a simpler system, but yet, uh, just knowing it's one of those things you can easily get wrong 
and it's simple enough to know, but it's, it's, it's like a lot of things in our industries that are kind of going by the wayside. I'm sure that, you know, there's less emphasis, you know, put on, you know, steam systems and things like that, uh, on the engineering, at the engineering level, just because, you know, it's all either hot water, chilled water or, you know, refrigerant. But so it kind of falls into that same category. I'd like to go back to the one thing that you did, you did mention that, uh, um, you were part of the, uh, or you are part of the local uh, 33 sheet metal union. Um, is that something that's, that's that's common? I mean, it, it, so there are union shops and non-union shops as far as testing and ba- testing and balancing go? Uh, yes. Uh, I, I, more so in our, you know, our area is, is, is a, a strong union area. Um, there are some uh, competitors, you know, uh, namely in the Columbus area um, that are non-union. Um, but yeah, overall, yeah, all of our guys, including myself, um, you know, I'm signatory to local 33 um, and, you know, hold the certification for our company. Uh, the beauty of that is we actually don't, I mean, the hall does have classes uh, that they, they, the techs can take, um, if they want to. Um, I am more stringent where I've been doing a, a chapter a month with all of our up and coming young people. Um, this gives me a better understanding of where my guys stand at the end of the day. It's not like, like, uh, you couldn't call the hall right now and, and ask for a test and balance guy. They, they don't exist. You, you, you follow. So, so like if you said, well, I, I need a sheet metal guy. Well, yeah, you, you could call the hall and they would be able to support that uh, potentially, or, you know, provide you a contractor. Um, but yeah, our training, we like to do it in house. Now we do have a beautiful uh, facility, which you've been at Matt um, uh, at uh, local 33 in Cleveland. Um, they have a, fantastic, um, test and balance lab laboratory. Um, and we've put on uh, a number of presentations there. Um, just kind of showing some of the processes that we go through in the field. So to allow people to get a more eyes on that, Hey, what, what did these guys really do? What, you know, anybody with a flow hoods, a balancer, well, you know, you gotta be careful with that too, because, you know, a lot of times you have, you have to know when that equipment can be utilized. So to, um, understand when you may be getting a, a, a bogus reading from a flow hood, especially at like on a supply register. Um, I've, I've seen that mistake happen before. And I guess this kind of jumps down to some of the other stuff that we were going to talk about as far as mistakes in the field, but you have to know what procedure you need to use for that type of system. I mean, if it's a two by two lay in or a one by four, yes, a, a flow is a, is a good device to use to measure the air volume. But if you get into a situation where there's registers and you're, you're not getting a real even velocity across that, the, 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 the flow grid within the hood will not read accurately. So you'll, you, you'll get some, it'll, it'll actually read higher potentially in many cases. So you have a, 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 a bogus reading and, and the only way to, 
to back up what what you think is actually happening is, of course, going back old school and performing a pedo tube duct traverse, which, you know, basically the, the two methods, equal area and log chevy chef, which we don't got to get into, but, you know, there's procedures that are, that we need to follow as test and balance people so that we can provide accurate data um, that is repeatable in the field. All right. For, for balancing and or troubleshooting, because, you know, we all get into situations where, Hey, there's a problem. We need to, we need to come up with a solution or provide the best advice of, you know, how can we work through this? So I guess that kind of got on a tangent on that one. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, and again, I just, I want to go back to this one last time. Um, with the union shop. Oh. I mean, so, so, typ- yeah. so typically is that something that um, you know you're going to go into the testing and balancing industry, you hook up with a testing and balancing firm, and they're like, okay, now you got to go sign up with a union. We're going to train you as an apprentice in-house. So you're not kind of... Yes. Okay. So that, that's... that's Yeah, you- so we'll, typically mo- we, we've, we've picked up a, a, a couple guys that were in the local 33 as a sheet metal worker. They had a couple years in, um, the guy is sharp, um, you know, mathematic skills, solid. Uh, you know, we, we ended up taking him in and he's worked out fantastic. Um, but typically, yeah, you know, people will, will come in and apply if we have an opening where we can put an apprentice on, uh, I believe you're allowed, I believe it's one apprentice to three journeymen. So these guys aren't going out into the field on their own. They're, they're being trained by guys that are, uh, you know, have a wealth of knowledge and background and experience in this field, you know, and, and they're, they're, they're getting their training from that. And then I'm backing it up with the book side of things through the, the uh, NEBB study course. And we go through a chapter, you know, and eventually they'll go through and they'll, they'll take their testing uh, for as a CT. A certified technician, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's, uh, let's, let's go there a little bit. I mean, you know, as far as getting out into the field, what, what do you really mm-hmm. do as a test and balance uh uh, somebody going out into the field. What what do you do to kind of prep for that? What what's the process for test and balance? Well, from well, first we need a PO. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just saying. But yeah, yeah. Typically, what we'll do is 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 you know, a lot of our clientele. Uh, it's direct. It, it it all depends. Sometimes it's for a mechanical contractor. Um, sometimes for the commissioning agents, uh, um, sometimes for the CM, so on and so forth. But typically out of the gate, what we do is, is we of course request the most current drawings because I can't tell you how many times I've been told I have the latest and greatest drawings and, you know, guy gets to the job and he's like, "Mm, no, (laughs) that's not what's here. So I always request that the most current drawings, the uh, specification, and of course the equipment submittals. From that point, um, 
will that job will be ready to be set up, which is basically taking the the, the drawings from uh, from drawing form to report form. So at that point, um, we'll have somebody set that job up, and, and at that point, they would put in the pertinent data uh, that is required for a, a fan sheet or a, a duct traverse sheet or an air distribution sheet or a pump sheet or water pressure drop element sheet uh, or a temperature sheet, depending upon what we're dealing with at that time. Um, the other thing that I always like to do is, is analyze the uh, test and balance specification. Um, I'd like to stay tight on the tolerances. I mean, some of the, some of the hospitals can be uh, pretty tight, you know, and, and you have to, when you're, when you're pricing that job, you have to understand that, you know, Plus or minus ten percent, okay. Plus or minus five percent, that that's going to take some tuning in and dialing in, and and potentially going through systems two and three and four times if needed. I mean, imagine a, a large ducted return system in a hospital. You know, uh, that's always brutal to balance, and you know, and and you know, those are some of the other things that we can talk about later where. You know, you have this monster ducted return system uh, and you're trying to distribute the air and you don't have branch dampers or there were no details, per, you know, showing branch dampers. Um, and we can get into that later. Um, so I always like to, to definitely take a sure uh, hard look at that and also uh, provide the technician with the calibrated instruments that he's going to need for that particular job, or if there's specialty items like um, uh, some of the other test instruments that we have, where there's situations where we can't measure water, but measure the water flow by pump curve or pressure drop of a, a, of a component, um, we've actually in, invested in a, in a couple of uh, uh, GE PT878s. We've had for a while we just got another one but um and what is that those are <laughs> that that is a um it's an ultrasonic flow meter okay um and it has all kinds of capabilities of, of data logging uh, totalizing so like if you needed to know uh, how much water is being consumed you know uh, domestic cold side in a facility we can actually mount that and data log it over a seven-day period and you can see when everybody's doing their laundry and, you know, when they're using the restrooms or when they're cooking or whatever. So, um, very interesting. Um, but it's, it's, it's a, another piece of equipment that kind of sets us apart from our competitor where, you know, they'll just come back and say, well, there's nothing we can, we can't measure it. There's no ports available or there's no ports on the pump or we can't find a pump curve or whatever the case may be. Um, so we try to think outside the box and, and figure out ways that we can get it done. So if people haven't been familiar with or have seen like a test and balance report, um, you know, you kind of you, you've mentioned that you take a look at the, um, you know, the design data. You take a look at the submittals and you, you're, you're going to put yep. that information down on your sheets, because ultimately, when you look at the report at the end of the day, you're going to be comparing. You're going to. You're going to go down the list and you're going to see, okay, here's the value that the engineer wanted. 
and here's mm-hmm. the value that you actually measured. Right. And the beauty of the report is, is you know, once you, once you really understand how to read a report, like I, I can look at a report and it's like, oh, okay, yes, this makes perfect sense, or whoa, something's wrong, this VFD, there's no way that this VFD is programmed properly. So that the the report is is typically set up with with the type of fan and fan data, and then there will be a separate uh, column uh, with the motor data, which is is of course very important. Down below, um, we have design data, and that data should come from the HVAC schedule. We also compare that data with the submittal. If there are discrepancies, we want note it. Um, or bring it to somebody's attention that, hey, this could be a potential issue, you know, based on what we're seeing. And it's it's nice because it's, it's caught uh, early enough on the constr- in on the construction process that it be it can be corrected without massive disruption where, you know, you might get a report at the end of the job that says, oh, man, you know, this is the wrong piece of equipment or whatever the case may be, it makes it for a, a cleaner job at the end. So what what kind of mistakes do you see that uh, that happen on the drawings? I mean, when you're setting them up, when you're taking a look at them, um, what, what sort of things that pop out commonly uh, when you're taking a look at it? The most common thing that I see is... I like to focus on the detail drawings and when I, when I, some of the things that I've seen in the past is, is one, um, pressure temperature ports and balancing valves, uh, locations on some of the drawings. Um, the, the, the pressure temperature ports should be between directly at the suction side of the pump you know, before the strainer, I see uh, details where they're actually downstream in the strainer. I mean, it would be great to have it in all three spots because then you could take a, you could actually take a pressure drop across the strainer if you're having a, a flow issue. Um, but that's, that's probably one of the major ones. Um, and what happens is, well, you know, then the mechanical looks at it and says, well, that's how the detail shows it. That's how I'm installed. That's how it's going in, you know? And I said, well, that's, it, it should be here and here, um, you know, for, for accurate measurement, you know, when you're, when you're trying to determine the GPM by pump curve. Um, that's one of the things. Um, and typically most of the rest of it, if it's not covered in the details, it's written you'll see it written somewhere that it will call for, you know, a, a balancing damper at each floor, main, sub main, sub branch, you know, however, however they, however it gets worded in the spec, you know, so sometimes we have to fall back on that because like those large ducted return systems that we see in hospitals, you know, it can be very difficult to balance. Um, if you, if you can't distribute the air uh, and work it like you would with a good duct installation that does have branch dampers throughout to get the air to where you're going to need it at the end of the day. 
it's difficult to, to balance a system. Yeah, it's, every one of them has a, a, a volume damper, but a, a branch damper at the end of the day uh, is going to allow you to distribute the air uh, better, and it's going to reduce leakage that you would see uh, typically because, you know, when you're running a leakage test, typically you're pressure, you're deep, you know, putting it under negative, you know, or positive pressure and you're not, that leakage isn't going to show up until after the rest of the ducts installed, which is a whole nother, I think we could, you could do a complete podcast on that. We can do that later. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, I don't know that, does that make sense? Yeah. Th that's really about it. I didn't, there's not, that was just something that just jumps out to me that I, I see quite a bit lately for some reason. Um, and it was just something that I, I jotted down while I was uh, reviewing some of the questions. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, you, you mentioned what I would refer to as the big hairy note. Um, it just, you know, it put, basically putting dampers where they should be. And just, yeah. it's a, you know, at least to me, that's a little bit, a little bit of a uh, sloppy engineering um, that you'd have to go back to the spec and try to, you know, beat somebody over the head to say, hey, you missed this because it should be there and you didn't put it in. Well, you know, who's supposed to know that? That's, you know, that's one of those things that I, I just, you know, you, you, have, yeah. you should, you should put it in there, but you shouldn't have to rely on it. Um that's that's at least that's 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 my opinion. Um, yes. Right, I I would agree. Yeah. So so talking about specs, you said uh, typically we're we're looking at plus or minus ten percent, right? That's kind of the the that's the kind of industry standard. Industry, yes. Mm -hmm. So and you can get some different variations of that. You can get the five, plus or minus five percent. Um, and, um, right. I've even ha heard cases zero to, zero to plus 10 on air handling equipment. And, right. and then, and then you, you look at the connected load of a constant volume system and the numbers are off. I mean, we've seen that and that happens, but you know, at that point, uh, to me, one phone call is equivalent to 22 emails. You know, if, if you can open up the lines of the, uh, of communication, you know, even with the design engineer, it just, it makes things go a lot smoother because, you know, you, you can, you open up those lines of communication and you can understand the point where, uh, the engineer record is coming from and, and he can understand your point that, you know, Hey, here's where we're at. We're really, you know, if you, if you're very focused on the numbers, be careful. I mean, another notori notorious thing that I see, uh, is for some reason, let's say it's a, let's just call it a small ducted return system. And when you look at the unit total and the minimum outside air required, and then you look at the return total and the return total matches the supply fan total. I always write in, our reports, I, I still put if, you know, let's say it's, let's, let's say it's two, two inlets. Okay. Two inlets at a hundred CFM and it requires, you know, whatever, uh, a hundred CFM outside air, it, you know, so, so, so we got 300 CFM total that we're working with 
you got each of the two return inlets on the drawing show wants 150. But if you count, account in what the minimum outside air requirement is, which it should have all the time, um, I typically put a notation on there because one, I'm not going to be, be able to be within tolerance of the spec. And two, it, it, it's a notation that doesn't need to cause confusion. You know, it's just a statement that says here, you know, proportionally balanced with available air, you know, accounting for the minimum outside air requirement. And usually that's not an issue, you know, um, but those are some of the other things that I, I guess I see uh, sometimes. And, you know, I don't know if you, if you have an opinion on that either way, but, you know, just on a constant volume system, it, you know, it could leave somebody scratching their head if, um, if they're looking at it and trying to properly proportion the system. Right. The engineer really didn't do their, their final bit of math that they needed to do to say, okay, here's what the system's really going to, you know, really going to be at. Well, right too. And then, I mean, it's even like, it's similar with the return fan, you know, the return fan is designed the same, but yeah, the actual intent is you want to pressurize this building. You don't want to relieve the, the remainder of that air. You want to, you want to slow that return fan down so that it's not infiltrating you're you're either you're not relieving any air out of the building you know unless that's the design intent and that would all get into the sequence of operation which we can get into later because it kind of falls into some of the other stuff um as as far as uh did you ask me how I feel about the balancing specs? Tell, you <laughs> We're kind of in the midst of Yeah, exactly. Tell tell me tell me what you think of the balancing specs. I am going to say overall they're okay. Um there are some cases which people label boilerplate specification and it's not really specifically written for that particular job. Um one of the other oddball things that always jumps out to me uh, are on the um, duct leakage specifications and how they can be very written very peculiar at times where it says to, and this is one that I have and hopefully nobody's on the phone that wrote this, but it says uh, uh, pressurized duct to one and a half times the duct construction pressure. So, <laughs> Oh, I'm not kidding. So, so in that case, I, if, 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 if I know who it is, I call them and say, look, I, I'm going to pressurize it to, to, to the duct construction pressure. I don't want to jeopardize the integrity of the duct work by trying to provide you one and a half times this because it would probably need additional reinforcement before I could even think about doing that. The other thing is, is there's, there's, sometimes confusion where the responsibilities overlap with the mechanical contractor where the mechanical contractor is suppo supposed to perform the duct leakage test and then it typically is witnessed by the test and balance contractor. Others write it where it's specifically uh, you know that the mechanical contractor shall cap and provide and support the duct leakage testing and the duct leakage testing should be performed 
by the tab contractor and then be specific and say, you know, first smack the standards um, is, is usually the most simple way to put it, in my opinion. But yeah, we, I do get some uh, some off the wall things, but overall, not too bad. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was always my kind of uh, uh, opinion and feeling that the specifications were generally way too way too long, a lot longer than they needed to be, because they'd go into the oh, de- yeah. the details of okay, for this piece of equipment, you know, I want these forty things, and you've already specified, hey, I want the balancer to be uh, certified either by one of the three agencies. So they already have their set of standards that they're ha- they have to follow per their guidelines. So a lot right. of that stuff is just a little, a little fluff. I mean, obviously, you know, it's very important to be detailed about, you know, where, where you're, you know, the pressure testing, the duct pressure testing. It's very important about the, what the intent of the accuracy of the plus or minus 10% or something else. Right. And then, you know, generally speaking, if there is some sort of other uh, pressurization tests that need to take place, whether they be uh, room pressurization tests or, right, um, you know, anything specific like that that's very project specific, that should be in there. Um, but right, it, we have with details of hey, uh, you know, because a lot of times, you know, it'll it'll even in those the room integrity tests, Matt, you'll see. Um, perform room integrity tests. And then it's like, okay, well, uh, what type of room is it? You know what I mean? So it, you, you kind of almost have to be a detective, go through, understand the system that you're working on, look at the offsets that based on the design and say, okay, I need a uh, hundred CFM offset uh, between supply and exhaust or return. And, and I have to maintain a 0.02. So at that point, you know, then then it's very specific. I, you know, I can look at it and I can I can usually decipher. And in, and in that case, if if I have a question, if it's somebody I know, I just call them and and, and you know and or you know it could be cleared up with an RFI or you know whatever the case may be. But yeah, if if it got specific for that particular project and it's that detailed uh, yeah i agree i would it would be nice to see that there and have you ever gotten a call from an engineer saying hey you know what I w- i'm writing the specification what what kind of things do i need to make sure that i specify that i just i don't leave it too general is that has that ever that yes. call ever came through absolutely so yes especially on especially on duct leakage so to all the engineers would- out there Find find a test and balance agent that you know, and you know that you can know and you can trust, and ask the que- if you have the question, ask it. Right, and I'm a phone call away, so I mean, you know, if I can if I can answer somebody's question, I'd be happy to do that. Excellent, yeah. Because actually, uh, now that now that you mentioned that, I'm like, well, you know, I mean, we have listeners all over the United States. Fulton actually is um, does work. Um, you know, uh, pretty much countrywide, right? All the United States. Yeah, yeah. We just uh, we finished up uh, a couple of facilities uh, in California, uh, laboratory facilities. Um, 
Kentucky. Yeah, we we've been all over. I've had the luxury of working in Las Vegas. <laughs> um, Rough. <laughs> one one time, one one time. Uh, uh, Ohio, Kentucky, uh, West Virginia, Virginia, um, Florida. Yeah, I've I've been I've been around. <laughs> so, but so, yeah, so yeah, we we do travel. Uh, you know, especially for you know, there, there's you know some companies and contractors and engineers that you know uh, use us exclusively for the most part. Um, New York is one of them. Um, we've done some stuff uh, at some facilities in New York to to look at things for uh, the engineer of record on some jobs there. So, but yeah, we, 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 we can go wherever we need to go. And the beauty of part about, you know, uh, the beauty of our company is that we, we are solid with troubleshooting capabilities where, you know, you might be able to find a test and balance guy that might be able to, to balance the system potentially properly. I mean, you would expect it, you know, you're, you're paying somebody to, perform a service and complete a job and do it right per the plans and specifications. Yeah, we do that, but we also can solve problems and figure out issues with equipment and, and get the right people involved when you do encounter those types of situations. Excellent. So, all right. That's my plug, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, but uh, getting, let's getting back to the, now that you've, yep. you've, you've gone through, you've set up the job, you've, you've gotten all the information that you need to, um, what kind of, you know, you're, you're loading up the truck. What kind of equipment do you bring to the job site typically? You know, I guess you can talk okay. about it air side, water side, you know, those, those two things. Yeah. Well, yeah, we could start with air side. Um, and, and I, I'm just pretty much, this this is uh, of course since we're a NEB certified firm, um, we're required to own the test equipment, and it has to fulfill and has uh, of course its function, its minimum range, its minimum accuracy, and its minimum resolution. Um, and typically, uh, that piece of equipment does come if you pay for it, of course you have to pay for it, but, um, it comes with, uh, NIST certified, uh, NIST certified calibration data that can be provided at any time, because I, I can't tell you the importance of that. In, in fact, um, a year, I think it was two years ago, Matt, I put on that, helped put on the presentation at the, uh, Ohio, Kentucky, uh, for the continuing education, you know, on the importance of um, having calibrated test equipment, you know, you know, if you're 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 competing with, you know, a guy that's got a flow hood, he's got no certification, goes in, he he balances a building, and you know, and there's problems, and of course, you you know, they're going to call in the guys that can figure it out, and it's usually us, and. You know, one of the first things I go out to and I say, well, you know, I, I met the guy out on the job and I said, well, let me show me what you're using to, to test this, you know. And, and he, you know, he's, he's got a, a Velgrid from 1960, you know, that's got its original calibration 
data on it, you know? And I'm like, when's the last time this thing's been looked at? But even it, it's so important from energy consumption to changing shivs because you're relying on a tachometer that is NIST certified, calibrated, functions correctly, um, provides you the correct data. You have to be able to be smart enough to look at that uh, fan RPM. This is a, a belt-driven application, let's just say. And you go in, you tack that that fan RPM, and, you know, it's, it's 690, and you look at with calibrated uh, amp probe and voltmeter, when you typically use like a, a fluke um, setup where, you know, it has uh, a lot of the equipment has multifunctions in one unit and we can get into those in a second, but it just, you, you're going to use your fan laws. Of course, you're going to look at fan curves at times, depending upon the type of fan. Is it not overloading? You know, what can I really do at the end of the day? to solve this airflow problem. And I'm relying on all this equipment uh, to come to that conclusion so that I can order the proper material to, and also in conjunction with reviewing this, the submittals, so to not exceed the fan critical RPM of that fan. You know, I mean, I can't tell you how many people have said, well, just speed it up. Well, I, I can't, the motor's loaded, you know, or, or just, just speed it up. I said, no, I, it, it, it's at 3,200 RPM. The critical RPM by the manufacturer is 3,215. We can't go anymore without jeopardizing the structural integrity of the fan. You know? So that kind of, I think, kind of puts it in perspective it, it, is the importance of that. But as far as, um, without a doubt, uh and, and even for safety reasons, you know, you don't want somebody going into, uh, you know, a, a panel with, with a meter that's not calibrated or working and somebody getting hurt, you know. I mean, first and foremost, um, a lot of times we have to de-energize equipment. Um, there's times where, you know, we run across three-phase equipment that's running backwards. If we can... W- we play well with others. If we can get an electrician to do it for us, we do it. If it's a dangerous situation, we put it on a punch list and, and, and let whomever we're working for chase the proper person down to get the rotation corrected. But in, and again, all these things should have been done prior to us coming out. So startup should be, should be complete. Um, and, and everything up in function functioning and ready for testing and balancing controls complete so on and so forth everybody goes through their process okay you know boxes are up you know we can we can, they they verify that they're reading airflow they verify that the motors are the damper motors and control valves on the hot water uh, reheats or chilled water coils and you know everything's supposed to be up and functioning and checked out before we pretty much step foot on site but we know that that doesn't always happen um unfortunately. So let me get back to the instruments. (laughs) 
I kind of went off on another tangent, Matt. You got to reel me back in sometimes. <laughs> um, typically, uh, so so uh, we have a tachometer, of course. Uh, we use uh, uh, stitch tachometers as the manufacturer we typically go for. Uh, as far as uh, electrical measurements, uh, without a doubt, we go with the flukes. Um, 373 clamp-on meters, uh, and that's, again, a multifunction um, piece of equipment. Uh, as far as air side goes, uh, I'm strong on short ridge. I've, no, I've worked with short ridge. I've talked to short ridge. I've asked questions to short ridge. I've, um, they've been very supportive. Um, they're Test instruments read in to the minimum accuracy required. Uh, you know, I mean, some of the facilities we work in, clean rooms and things of that nature, you know, we're, we're recording uh, uh, differential pressures, you know, down into the 10,000s range. Uh, so very accurate, you know, very detailed. That short ridge ADM 870C. Um, there are a couple other models out there, but typically the 870C is good for testing and balancing. Um, it's other multifunction, of course, is, is it'll measure uh, uh, velocity, pressure, and feet per minute. And again, with the same amount of accuracy within a minimum resolution of one feet per minute, um, also uh, has a bell grid and also a bell probe, which can measure uh, um, higher velocities dependent upon. Uh, sometimes you may have to measure the velocity at the inlet of a fan uh, because there's an airflow station there. So you're trying to confirm calibration. Um, sometimes you can tee into that equipment so that you confirm that your velocity pressure is matching or velocity test and feet per minute is matching what's being displayed through the building automation system. And ultimately at the end of the day, I mean, if you're going in there and you're not using quality equipment to, to test instruments to measure this equipment at the end of the day, you know, that, that data is being used in conjunction with the building automation system to try to save energy. So, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot if you're if you're not following proper procedure and you know proper calibration procedures by the manufacturer or or recommended you know yearly calibration. I, I go I, I do it yearly. Some of them you know say that it's only required uh, on a two year basis. Um, I don't want to take that chance, so I do it. Uh, yearly and I also keep a fresh set of test instruments that don't leave my office so that if somebody has a question or a hunch that something is not functioning correctly they can bring it to me and I can cross check it against a piece of equipment that's never left my office so that's kind of how we combat that um, direct hood uh, is another function measurement that the uh, uh, short ridge ADM 870C will do. Um, 
for additional fee, they you can purchase a, a base uh, with the flow hood grid in it, and they have up to five top sets. We typically use five top sets because we do a lot of uh, hospital pharmaceutical where we may need to, you know, have a, a, a hood that can get a measurement on a two by four opening. Um, some require Velgrid measurements. It, it all depends on the type of facility. Uh, on the water side of the, we also, it's mandatory that uh, uh, any NEB certified firm has to uh, own a um, rotating vein, which is very good because there's some manufacturers uh, kind of getting back to our talk about um, the flow hood not reading accurately. Um, sometimes the manufacturers will provide published data as part of the submittal of what type of instrument you should use to measure their type, their type of diffuser, drum loop, or whatever the case may be. Um, usually you can find that information if you dig deep enough. Uh, I think that pretty much sums it up for the air side of things. Um, of course, we have air temperature, uh, immersion air in contact with high resolution um, and large capabilities because we're, you know, we're measuring. I mean, I've measured uh, some ovens and things of that nature. Um, it's now Masco cabinetry, but it was uh, craft made. I used to spend a lot of my field time out there and measuring uh, temperatures of ovens that would help their curing process to 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 the cabinets and things of that nature. So you got to be uh, diversified with the temperature measurement um, on the hydronic portion. Um, we use a combination of um, Alnor. Uh, and we have typically more uh, short ridge HDM 250s, and that is the beauty of that is it's a it's a multifunction uh, measuring device, it, it, and it can measure uh, pressures individually uh, as well as differential in inches uh, inches of water psi feet, uh, inches of mercury, and so we stick with those because some of the balance valves that are out there, you have a wide range. And again, the more way that more ways that you can test a piece of equipment, so for example, let's just say a chill water coil, you know, the detail shows a, a very nice setup, shows a, a, a balance valve. Uh, on the return line, we of course measure that, and then they also, you know, if you look at the details, if you know, if they leave it there, um, if there's pressure temperature ports where you can get a pressure drop through the coil, um, that's also helpful, you know, for for troubleshooting. Um, I can't tell you how many times we've seen strainers, uh, you know, the infamous strainers that that can plague water systems and and how quickly they can uh, plug up uh, especially if there's still construction strainers are installed when you know we were told everything's 
construction strainers are out, system's been flushed, we're good. Um, but we kind of run into the, those situations. Um, it's always nice to see uh, pressure temperature ports across components, especially like a uh, like a bag or a, a basket strainer. I just worked on one not too long ago here. Um, I had all the uh, pressure drop ratings for this. I measured it, and based on my measurements, and that's the other thing I, I want to stress is any test and balance guide, just never ignore your readings because they're going to tell you everything. And the beauty about this calibrated test instrument, I can, I can take that pressure drop, and I know that I'm at half the water flow, and I know my pressure drop is going to go to the square of the flow if I had the correct flow. And I'm supposed to have less than a half a pound drop across this basket strainer, and I've got 10 at half that. So it, come, it came out to like, I, I, would need, I would need like 83 foot drop across that uh, um, basket strainer to, to have the correct flow. And then, you know, and then I go to the, the installing contractor and I'm like, hey, the strainer's plugged, man. Oh, no, we just pulled it. I, I, she sent me pictures. I said, well, it's plugged again, you know. And that's the thing with strainers. They, you know, somebody, it may take four or five times of circulation. You know, you got you to gotta stay on top of it because... I can't tell you how many times pipe has gotten dropped off in the mud to a job site. It gets slapped in and it gets, it plugs up at the reheat coil or, or chilled water coil or whatever the case is. And, you know, the guy tells you, Oh, I, I pulled a strainer. I cleaned it. It was dirty. Put it back in, you know, it was fine for, for five minutes. So I walked away, you know, and then I come back and I come to it and it's plugged again. And I'm like, man, you got to, and I said, no, you have to sit here and you need to let this thing run, you know, even over a couple day period, because those, those pipes have not seen that water velocity because they were put in so dirty. So it's going to take time as, as, as the pipe starts to see more and more velocity, it's going to still collect at the strainer. So it's a, it's a really, a, it could be a tough process at times. Oh, I totally, totally can see that. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like they wash the mm -hmm. pipe when they put it in. They, you know. No, no. <laughs> I, yeah. So it can, it can, it can be brutal, and and it's like you know, we we're typically the bearers of bad news sometimes, you know. Yeah. But you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we want it right, and we want it to work, and and, and we, we want everybody, everybody, of course, wants the customer to be happy with 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 the job that they got. So. Right. Um, so so let, that kind of sums it up. Yeah. So let, let, let's talk a little bit about that. You know, I mean, uh, the test and balance guys can work for different uh, different people. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, they can work directly for the owner or they can work directly for the contractor, the HVAC contractor, which was, you know, had typically been the way that that happens. What, what, do, what do you think? What are your feelings on this? What are your opinions, pros and cons? Uh, I gotta be honest. I'm kind of all over the board on this one. I, I, if you have an owner that's involved, that would be the way to go. 
I've had great projects, Matt, where where I've worked for the architect, I've worked for the engineer, I've worked for the commissioning agent, I've worked for the mechanical, sometimes even the control people. Uh, for some reason, there were some strange jobs where the the testing and balancing was under the control contractors. Um, the construction manager is, is a good one because if everybody's working for the CM and I send a punch list to the CM, it's up, it's up to him to kind of try to track that guy down. But what I like to do at the beginning of the project, and again, this is, this, it takes time. You get to know these, the, 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 the tradesmen, you know, and if I have a problem, it's more cost effective for me to talk, to have my tech talk to the guy in the field and say, look, I need a damper here or this is installed wrong. Um, you know, what can we do now? You know, and, and, and 99.9% of the time they're receptive. There are some times where they're not receptive and I'm like, well, you can fix it now or you can fix it when your boss tells you to fix it. I, it doesn't bother me either way, but you know, the report's not coming through until this is corrected or I can balance it because you're missing components or, or whatever the case may be. Um, and it's kind of wild because, you know, like I've said before, we're kind of the, the liaison between the electrical contractor, the controls contractor, commissioning team, um, engineer, architect, who am I missing? Pipe fitters, um, sometimes plumbers, depends on, you know, domestic water systems, it depends. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we work for them all. Um, I guess if I had a favorite, I'd probably, uh, lean towards the commission. I actually commissioning agent too, because, you know, I mean, in your line of business, Matt, you, you, you get a sense of comfort that you, you've got a team on this. That's going to do the job first of all, and, and not, not get a bogus report, you know? And, uh, so again, I know I'm kind of all over the board with that. Um, yeah, you know, it's ultimately, at least from my standpoint, it's one of those things that if you work, you you, you don't want to be ignored. You don't want to have your opinions and the information that you find kind of pushed down and not brought to light. Um, and you need the right. need the problems addressed. Um, and so, if you work for, it, if you're in the wrong position, you don't necessarily get the leverage. And that's if if like you're right. talking about. And having the owner being engaged or whoever being engaged as opposed to just not doing anything about it. Right. And what I, yeah. And the other thing, I mean, from a commissioning standpoint, a lot of, and, and a lot of times, you know, we, we can generate these lists and, and those lists actually become part of the commissioning log is, is kind of a, a, a good approach that has worked for us in the past that, you know, Hey, this data is out here. You know, now we now you've got commissioning, construction manager. You know, you got all these people in positions to 
delegate who needs to do what or you know who needs to take care of what but i like to run the the jobs you know with communication and hey if we can solve this problem now it's going to be easier on you it's going to be easier on everybody let's just address it now and and most people are that way i mean there's been a handful where you know i'm like look you know you can you can fix it now or you can fix it later you know, it's up to you. You know, I want to get this done, you know, or, you know, or I could just send a punch list in, you know, if I'm working for the mechanical contractor and it's a sheet metal item, I send it into the MC and he sends it over to the sheet metal guy. And then the sheet metal guy, you know, and this is all documented, you know, via punch list so that I have this data to fall back on and say, well, you know, I've been back to this. You've told me twice it's been corrected. You know, I'm go, I'll go one more time, but after that, it's got to stop because, you know, I, I don't have unlimited funds to co go back and keep telling you that you didn't do what you were supposed to do, unfortunately. So, right. right. So, so, yeah, I'm kind of in the middle of the road on all of it, I guess, as far as, but there, 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 there are some definite cons because, you know, your, your data is not getting lost. By the MC, you know, it's it's documented by us, you know, as well as the commissioning team. So it's kind of a, a good approach. So just to kind of put a, a, a bow on this conversation, what, what sort of advice for somebody who's, you know, listening and thinking about getting into testing and balancing, what, what sort of advice would you give them? Um, I was going to say don't, but don't, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to say it, this is a very unique specialized trade. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a trade, um, that you could get into and you could follow through with. And, and it's something that physically you would be able to, to do and still do and retire from. So I'm committed. I like what I do. I like the people that I work with. You know, um, it, it's a very unique situation. Um, I guess out of the gate, understanding the fundamentals of things is, is the first key. The other is focus on the calculations and understand where, where to apply the calculations so that you become a, a good troubleshooter because w once you do that, it's like, well, everything just makes sense. Um, you definitely need to be focused on net procedural standards and testing methods and what, what is the most accurate method to, to follow. Um, it, it's a hands-on job. It's unique because you get to solve problems. Um, I think it would be good for any anybody, you know, I mean, even if the, their ultimate goal would be to become a mechanical engineer, um, it would be a good thing for, for any young mechanical engineer to even, you know, come on or shadow or, or anything of that nature, um, you know, with a test and balance guy, um, because it's, it, it'll, it'll just make you a, a, a more solid 
engineer that than than you already are um, because you're getting the hands-on experience and, and you'll see some of the trials and tribulations. I mean, the other thing is, is this is constantly changing. Um, it's unique. You have hundreds of different control programs that you work with throughout calibrating equipment. You're working with um, all these different uh, trades and professionals, um, controls people, electricians, you know, and, and at the day, at the end of the day, um, you're understanding how sequence of sequences of operation are supposed to work. And it actually allows you to look at it. And once you master some of those things that I mentioned on early, you become a better troubleshooter and, and you even can take it to the point where you're so far into the, what the equipment can and can't do, you know, you may realize that, oh my God, if you look at this, there's not even a control point for, you know, a, a purge mode that a, a, a fan system is supposed to have. I, I just ran into that situation um, previously. Um, drop me a resume. If, you know, if you're if you're interested, we'll we'll put we'll put that in the show notes. I think the what the one interesting yeah. one interesting thing that uh, I I realized um, uh, a couple of weeks back is that, or at least uh, was brought to my attention because I, I never really thought about it. If I, I guess if I would have thought about it, it would have been very blatantly clear. But test and balancing people aren't contractors; they're actually consultants, and that was something mm. that w- was. You know, because you associate them with contractors because they're they're involved in the construction process. So you're like, oh no, just another contractor, but they're not. They're actually consultants. Right. Um, and and the reason I know that is somebody pointed out that um, it's the type of uh, liability insurance that you get um, when you're a contractor. It's very specific uh, that you get this type of insurance. Uh, when you're a test and balance um, uh, company you're in a completely different um, category, which is more uh, reminiscent of consultants, engineers, architects, than it is of contractors. Interesting. So. Okay. All right. Well, um, I'll, I'll leave w- with that. Uh, Mike, any th- uh, closing thoughts that you have? Uh, no, I mean, if it, it, it's, it's, it's a unique situation Again, you you get to work at some of <laughs> the most unique places in manufacturing plants and hospitals and clean rooms and where all these um, unique processes happen. Um, it, it, it's, it's really uh, an interesting field. You're not working at, at the same place every day. You know, there is some travel at times. Um, and you get to work with and uh, work with very interesting people, and you know, I, I like to give back and 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 teach everything that I possibly know to to my guys, and 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 my guys, you know, they they train the apprentices the same way. So, and we've got a great group of guys, so we're we're very fortunate. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, uh, Mike. I really do appreciate your time. And uh, thank you. 
and uh, we'll uh, you know we'll probably bring you back for uh, some other episodes. So I think there's a lot of a lot of things we've just touched the uh, tip of the iceberg here, and there's a lot of different things that we can talk about related to test and balance. Sounds good, Matt. Thank you. Thank you again. All right. Thanks again to Mike Mazzolini for taking the time out to chat with us. Uh, check out the show notes for links and things that we mentioned during the interview. You can find those show notes over at HVAC360.com slash 134. Since for 134 for the 134th episode of HVAC 360. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. I hope this was helpful. If you or uh, somebody else you know are looking to get more information on the tab, the testing and balancing uh, that goes on, um, consider passing this along uh, for them. I know it would be a great boon to your network and uh, help everybody uh, share and grow the show. Also mentioned... um, Please subscribe to my list over at HVAC360.com. And the last two things, if you would, I would be greatly honored if you'd go over to iTunes or uh, now it is uh, Apple Podcast and leave a rating and review. That would help so much to get the word out about this podcast. In addition to that, we are also simulcast on YouTube. So if you go over there, even if you listen to the podcast normally just on your podcast app, Go over to YouTube and subscribe. Search for HVAC360 and see the episodes there. Just hit subscribe. Uh, Once I get enough subscribers over there, I'll be able to do a couple of interesting things over there. All right. That's a wrap for this episode of HVAC360. I'm Matt Nelson, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. And as always, know what you build and share what you know.